Projects podcast, and today my guest is Shane Gafal, who is an American artist who looks through the lens of humanity at civilizations, both past and present, and views times as threads that connect all people. His work is a visual language that is informed by the spiritualism of abstraction and the realism of real masters. These two ideas are usually seen as separate, but Gafal fuses them seamlessly into works that transcend and become testaments to thoughts that inform us of who we are in the 21st century. Shane, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Victoria. How are you? <laughs> Good. Here we are in your cool studio with a fresh coat of paint. Right. In Hollywood. That's right. <laughs> um, that's right. We're getting ready for an event tomorrow. But what I wanted to talk to you about today is Sam Francis, and I know you work for him in the studio, and you're in the current exhibition at Bakersfield Museum called um, The Circle of Sam Francis, Experimenting in California. The exhibition opened um, on May 25th, 2023, and it runs until September. September? So, September 9th of 2023. In Bakersfield does? Yes. Oh my. Um, That's a long haul. You've got two pieces in that show. Yep. Um, entitled number 11. It's a typical, um, it's 1990. It's a typical uh, ribbon, an early ribbon. It's one of the painting. earliest ribbon paintings. I started them all at that time. And then you have entitled number 56, 1992, <clears throat> which is like saturated color. Um, yellow and um, not yellow, excuse me. No, there's yellows and yeah, there's yeah, yellows. yeah. And um, I'm turning, I'm turning the computer so you can see it. Yes, I, I, no, I remember the painting. Yeah, and then there's another work. Um, um, Whom we know, we know. That's right. Which they asked for, but then they realized they didn't have the space for it, and it's because it's seven feet by seven feet. Right. So, in I've been. I've been working on my own sort of essay on San Francis and his self-portraits and interviewing um, different people in the studio there when Sam was alive. But, you know, this is about you and your time going in and out of that studio when you were working with Sam and Joe, maybe, mm -hmm. and Ed. <clears throat> You want me? You want me to set the whole thing up for you? Well, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about. It. I want. I want to hear like, you know, you're you're a lot younger. Your impression, Sam Francis. I'm sure. I was a kid. Sam Francis was like. He was the biggest thing in L.A. He he was the, the biggest was, thing. He was one of anywhere. the biggest artists in the world. Right. For sure. And the fact that I'm writing this article on him is huge for me because he was like a spectacle for me. Yeah. Um, in the 80s and yeah. the 90s. No, it was larger than life. So, so let's hear your story and okay. how you ended up at Sam's there. studio. Well, I will say I was very familiar with his work, um, you know, as a kid, as a teenager, late teens. And then when I got into CalArts, <clears throat> I would often go to the library and just... I would spend hours and hours just going through and picking up books and looking, and they had this huge section on San Francis. 
So I picked out the, I pulled the books out and I'd sit down at the table and look at them. And at first I thought, this is really cool. And then I thought, oh, I don't know. He's just, you know, Kellerts was such a conceptual school. And I'm looking at these, excuse me, these images. And I thought, they just seem almost too easy. Um, and it was a different generation, a different time. And they weren't resonating with me, per se. Cut to a few years later. And I end up getting a job as a studio assistant to Joe Good and the studio was on Electric Avenue off of Venice Boulevard between Venice and California Avenue. <clears throat> anyway and so there's this huge brick building there that Sam was renting and it was like 19,000 square feet that he oh had and it became Sammy's camera. I don't, I don't know what it is now but uh, it was huge. And so Joe knew Sam, of course, and wanted to move back to L.A. because he'd moved up to Springville, California, and that's how I met him because mm -hmm. that's the area where I'm from. And so he, um, he called Sam and said, you know, can I rent some of this space for you, from you? And Sam said, sure, well, how much do you want? And Joe, he met with Joe, and they just walked it off. This is a story Joe told me. And said, well, how about we just petition this wall off right here? And I have this section. And Sam said, great. And he had his guys come in and build a wall. And so Joe had a 3,500 square foot studio. That's with these, big. It was big. It was, a, it was one of the best painting studios I've ever seen. Wow. The light in that room was amazing. And that's when he was working on the ocean blue paintings. Okay, yeah. And these things were just um, shimmering. It was really beautiful. So Joe, uh, Ed, uh, Sam was, his studio was next door. And so they, there was a gate, a fence between them. And, but Joe's shared the dumpster. So I'd have to take the trash out. So because I'm taking the trash out, I start meeting people mm -hmm. at Sam's. And then it was like, Hey, you know, we, we need help pulling this big painting out. Can you help us? Sure. So I pull a big painting out and it just kind of went from there. And then it was like, Hey, can you come in and help us with this and this, you know, the first time I walked in there, as I recall, there was this big, 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 huge studio space with, I don't know, 40 foot ceilings or something. And it was a showroom and he had these grid paintings along in that space. And the paintings were 10 feet by 15 feet, 14 feet by 20 wow. feet. They were so massive, and I've never had experienced anything like that, right? So then, then the next room was where he painted. Mm -hmm. And in this room, there was a bathtub at the end of the room is where he washed his brushes. So everything was larger than life. Yeah. It was just quite amazing for me, and I was in my 20s. And there's all these canvases stacked up around the room, ready to go. And hundreds of buckets of paint that had been pre-mixed for him with a certain consistency. Consistency, And I thought, God, he's got this dialed in. Mm -hmm. What must this feel like mm -hmm. to walk into this room and work on a 14 by 20 foot painting? Yeah. How, what, how, how do you do that? We painted on the floor, right? Yes, for the big ones he did, right. But 
So for a young artist, I'm walking in there and seeing this massive studio space for the first time. And I didn't know this was possible to live and to create at this level. Mm -hmm. I just didn't, it never occurred to me. I'd never seen anything like it. And then I was also working just down the street at Ed Roche's studio. <clears throat> but at that studio was maybe 6,000 square feet, which seemed big, but it was small in comparison to Sam's space. Mm -hmm. And Ed didn't make big paintings. Ed made paintings that you can always fit in, in and out of a door. Yeah. yeah. Always. Yeah. You know, he still does, I think. Um, but it, it just... It, it made such an impression on me mm -hmm. that this is possible. Did you feel like, I could do this? Oh, absolutely. I, I walked, I remember there was a few times I was able to walk in. We got squeaky chairs here. I was able to walk in and, and just have the space to myself, right? And I would stand there quietly thinking, what would I do if this was my studio? Mm -hmm. How would I behave? What would I create? Would I make small little paintings? Would I make big giant paintings? And being in his space gave me the freedom to imagine. Yeah. In a way that, like Joe's space was a beautiful painting space. <clears throat> I mean, the most beautiful for seeing color. Ed's space was like an airplane hangar, uh -huh. um, and he painted outside oh. on the back porch because he was doing airbrush stuff, you know, paintings. And so then I'd help him drag them out there, and then we'd drag them back in um, <laughs> and wait for them to dry, and next day drag them out and drag them in until they were done, and then it was time to um, varnish them. So each artist had their own setup and their own experience. And I didn't know, I didn't meet Sam at the beginning. I only met him later on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and he was very cordial and hi, how are you? And so on and so forth. But then as time went on, I would get a phone call. It's like, oh, Sam's coming into town. Mm -hmm. And we need you to come over and if you could spare a few hours and roll out some canvas and staple it down and tape it off and here are the measurements. He's coming in tonight. I'm just like, okay, sure. And then three days later, okay, he's done. Can you and this other guy go and pull him up? Pull the canvases, all the staples out and pull them up and stretchers are gonna be delivered and we'd love it if you could flip it over and then stretch it onto these stretcher bars. Sure, <clears throat> you know, so I'd walk in and there was just, you know, chaos. And then you find out that he likes like a to... frenzy? Yes, yeah. a real frenzy. And that he, he liked to work at night when nobody was around. Mm -hmm. And it was like this explosion, you could feel it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like this, there's this build up, build up, build up, and then he comes into town and boom. And there's empty cans of paint everywhere. I mean, gallon buckets mm -hmm. all over the place. 
that, and he has these spatulas that he would scoop the paint out with mm-hmm. and just throw it on there and then move it around and with mops and mm-hmm. brushes and, and squirt bottles. And then he had a scissor lift. So then he would get on the scissor lift and get way above it so he could see what it looked like. Wow. And I just thought, you know, as a young artist, I was like, well, shit, man. Why not? Yeah. Go for gold. Yeah, I mean, you, know? you, you talk about dreaming on the ranch and laying in the grass yeah. and looking in the trees, and here's your opportunity to, to say, here's this artist's studio. Yeah, and he was one of the, the grandest, biggest living artists in the world at that time. Right, and I'm sure you met some of these Japanese collectors that came mm. in. Yes, I got a phone call asking if I could come down to help. And there was a small man dressed in his immaculate suit. And um, the studio manager guy was there, one of many. And so he said to him, Mr. So-and-so would like to see some paintings. And they were the huge paintings, right? So they're all in these big racks. So I'm pulling these things out. They're 12 feet by 16 feet, 14 by 20 feet. I'm pulling them out. A lot of them are covered in plastic, by the way, so you can't really see them. Mm-hmm. And I pull them out. Some are edge paintings, some are grid paintings, some are these blue ball paintings. Um, and the man, businessman from Japan, he would nod his head and say, hi. Or he would nod, no. And so I push it back in, and the guy would make a notation and what number it was. There was a numbering system that they had, you know, and so he'd make a note. And I pull out the next one and push it back, pull out the next one, put it, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe an hour's worth of pulling and pushing. And when it was all said and done, I think he bought 22 or $23 million worth of art. Oh, my. And I'm 27, 28 years old. Yeah. And that had a profound effect on me. Especially in the 90s, right? Yeah, especially, yeah, early 90s. Early 90s. Early yeah, late, 90s. Late 80s, yeah, late 80s or 90s, That's and it was just like, wow. First off, you know, I mean, who, you don't even realize there's this much money out there. Yeah. Secondly, that somebody's going to come and one person's going to buy all these pieces. Yeah, and knowing, I'm sure somebody said, well, he's at his Paris studio, or he's at his... He had a studio in Paris, a studio in New York, he had a studio in the Santa Monica Canyon, he had a studio in Northern California, and he had a studio in Japan. Yeah. Um, So... And he flew around. And this is before credit cards, so it was cash deal. Yeah. Cash or check. Yeah, check. Or transfer. Absolutely, absolutely. But I, I, I just didn't even know that was possible. I mean, Ed was successful, but nothing at that level. Yeah. And Joe was successful, but certainly nothing at that level. And it gave me, as a young artist, I thought, well, this is actually possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and just seeing the scope of what he was doing. Semi-structure of it? Yeah, and that this... this there was a sense that he was completely unafraid. Mm. There was nothing that was going to stop him. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. There was no person, no thing. Mm-hmm. And that appealed to me mm-hmm. greatly. 
Um, you know, and then you find out that, well, he was instrumental in starting uh, MOCA. Mm -hmm. And he was, he started Crossroads, that uh, school for the arts. And, you know, so then what he started, what he began doing was using his success to influence the community here in Los Angeles, moving it more towards the arts and education. Mm -hmm. And that I thought was really a great thing to do. You know, I mean, he's not, I, you know, I don't know if he had a jet or not, but um, he, the couple of times that I met him, he was a very humble guy and small in stature, but these bright blue eyes that just, they were like fire and blue. Mm. And he had this presence to him and with this white hair, you know, and, um, and this small hand, mm. but a firm handshake. And, and I remember, you know, shaking his hand and chatting with him for a minute. And I thought, huh, you know, this is, this is the guy. And, you know, you, those, they have an impact on you. Yeah. And you think, okay, I was, maybe I'm in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, because you met this guy. Yeah, and the universe is aligning in my favor. Mm -hmm. Hopefully. Yeah. You know, and at that age, you have no idea what you're doing and why you're doing it. I mean, I... <clears throat> and I, the thing about Sam's paintings, we touched on earlier briefly, was that you can see that it's all about spontaneous combustion. It's not... There's nothing that he is preconceived of. Mm -hmm. It's about being present and in the moment. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. And he's waiting for moments to appear in front of him. He's waiting for these beautiful accidental moments where he pushes a pain around. He's going to do something he doesn't expect. Mm -hmm. And then he's going to react to that. Mm -hmm. And that is where his art lies. Mm -hmm. You know, right? And yeah. in that in that interaction between chaos and order. Yeah, I mean, they say he's like. I mean, you've been between, doing a lot of research on him. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of research on him. I mean, they, there's a lot of people say different things, but you know, I was talking to somebody and they were saying, um, I asked them, you know, is he between two rocks? You know, and he said, No, he's like the air. Mm -hmm. He was the heir, mm -hmm. and I think that's really interesting. But back back to the influence of it, of coming in there and and having that exposure, you didn't run out. And this isn't your temperament as much as I what a little I know about you. <laughs> you know a lot about me. <laughs> is that you didn't feel like, hey, I got to go get in get in on this movement. No. Sam did not, Sam no. and his community did not infiltrate in your studio practice. You felt like, <clears throat> so tell me, because when I went to the show, when we went to the show at yeah. um, Bakersfield, <clears throat> by the way, we, we've been having cheese and crackers. And we're salmon. eating as we're talking. It's like around 6.53 at night, so it's cocktail hour. And, um, and we're... Uh, they're drinking wine and I'm drinking water. <laughs> There's, we've got some audience here too. 
So <laughs> when you when we went to Bakersfield, it was interesting because pretty much all of those artists, that was a full exhibition of so many different artists that mm -hmm. were assisting him, whether they were writers or painters or filmmakers. Mm. Um, and all of their work were uniquely different. They're very Sam's. different. I was very surprised about that. Me too. Let's talk about that and how you were not possessed by Sam's studio to run out and make these San Francisco paintings. Yeah. No, I, not at all. That's an unusual experience. Well, and that often happens when artists, young artists, go into a you know successful art studio. They walk out of there making copies. Um, or being very influenced by, and you know, somebody does word paintings, and you got twenty other people making word paintings, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and you know, I mean, uh, it's it's a very I, I don't know. I'm Sam was a very unique individual, and he was very private. He was very outgoing in one sense, but he was also very private. And I saw that about him. I didn't feel like I could even approach him and say, can I talk to you about art? Yeah, yeah. I think that me being invited into the studio on numerous occasions to help out was in itself sort of this amazing conversation that I got to have with him. Mm -hmm. And then <clears throat> and it was interesting after that, Japanese collector came and bought 20 some odd million dollars worth. Um, suddenly all this restoration, uh, remodeling started happening in the studio. And this upstairs apartment was built for this guy who founded um, uh, Pompidou in mm -hmm. Paris. And he mm -hmm. was great friends with, with Pontus, Sam. Yeah, Pontus. Pontus, yes. And um, so Sam made him an apartment, built him a, a, a private apartment in the studio up there. And then he started hanging some of his art from his personal collection. And that was the first time I, I ever saw a Joan Mitchell painting. And it was an early Joan Mitchell painting, this abstract painting. And I, I stood in front of this thing. You know, it was in a hallway going up to the apartment. Uh -huh. And I thought, what? <laughs> you know, and there was nobody around and I was able to touch the painting and feel the, the texture of the brushstrokes. And I just like, my God, this is amazing. And he had this incredible collection. Mm -hmm. And there was other guy, I can't remember his name now, Leslie something. And he did these grid patterns of pluses and minuses, and it's all about the cosmology of the universe. And he kind of was in fashion for a while, and he went out of fashion. I, you know, it's one of those things if nobody's putting anything up for auction and no big dealer is behind him, then they vanish. Does that mean that the paintings evaporated? No, it means that they're being enjoyed by a handful of people. But. Mm -hmm. um, these paintings, the paint was like half an inch thick mm -hmm. of like a purple square with a, a white dot in the middle. Mm -hmm. and, and just making these patterns. And I'd never, I again, I hadn't seen his work before and the paint texture of it. And so I realized that, that you know, I mean, this guy is out there collecting art or he's mm -hmm. trading with other artists. 
and he's he's surrounding himself with things that inspire him. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm always taking I was always taking mental notes. Ed did the same thing. Yeah. Ed is a huge collector of art, and he surrounded him. He likes to surround himself with things that inspire him. I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you learn from these guys, mm-hmm. and I I felt I learned so much from. What I learned was to be able to trust my instincts mm-hmm. um, with Sam being in the presence of his work and the vastness of his vision that he had. I mean, he built an empire. Mm-hmm. It was an empire. Mm-hmm. And everybody else in town had a studio. Mm-hmm. They had a career. Mm-hmm. He had an empire. Yeah. You know, yeah. Ed now has an empire. Right. But Sam had an empire before. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. And I just feel very fortunate that I was there yeah. to see it. And for both those guys as well. Yeah. Um, for my research, Sam would go to the lectures at the Union Institute. Did you hear about any of that, or anybody mention anything about the dream theory, or did no. you end up reading anything? Like what I what I learned is that nobody really knew what was going on. They were just doing it, experiencing it. Nothing was calculated. No, nothing. You could see that there was nothing. You know, so much of the art that's been happening the last twenty years, thirty years, it's. It's preconceived, it's passed along to different studio assistants to to make, and here's a slick object or painting, whatever it's gonna be, and everybody oohs and ahs, but from my point of view, it's, it's sort of dead on arrival. You know, once the idea has been handed off and it's been fabricated, I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. It's um, then the artist becomes a director mm-hmm. of a fabrication process, as opposed to the personal process of. And you know, Sam was very much about that personal process. And mm-hmm. you know, even when he was <clears throat> much older, he was, you know, he'd be out the, in there in his with his socks on and his shorts and. Um, walking across the canvas, you, I would see the yeah. little footprints. You see it in the film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I would see the footprints on the canvases, you know, when I go to pull them up after they dried. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, okay. you know, he liked it, and it was part of uh, his presence and uh, history of their making, mm-hmm. and that he was there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very philosophical thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole Jungian thing, you know, coming from a very deep subconscious place and a collective, collective subconscious. Um, and I think that his work was very much about abstract symbols. Yeah, I mean, he, from what I read, I mean, he didn't dream and go into these dreams and then paint the dreams or, you know, paint himself flying through the sky. He didn't do that. What, he, what I understood, and maybe I'm wrong, is that he had the dreams, and in the dreams, he was able to go down into rooms and explore existence, mm-hmm. and then come back 
into the waking world and just unleash it. Unleash it. But that, but that, what I've always said, that's a shaman. Yeah, and alchemy was a huge. That alchemy is a thing. So you're 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 turning water into wine. You're turning straw into gold, and you're. You're taking one bit of information with another bit of information, and as an as a, a shaman, you're going into the spiritual underworld and bringing back your findings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what his work was about. It just so happens that it, it, it sort of gets bookended to the abstract American Abstract Expressionist movement. You know, he was the second generation, and that's an easy fit, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's and you can say, well, Jackson Pollock was first generation, so then, you know, but he was so self-destructive, and he also was into Jungian therapy and really got into all that stuff. And mm -hmm. so, but I think Sam's work was more um, about healing than about, like, Pollock's work was very destructive in a way, very fragmented, and it was, you know, he had a destructive personality. Well, I, I, I think it's safe to say that Sam started painting when he was in the hospital. In the hospital, on flat on his stomach because yeah. of a back injury. I think it was in Paris. And he started painting on the floor. And, you know, and I thought about that. So that's when a I, healing, you know, he was, was a healing a doctor. Yeah. Right, and it was a healing process for him. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, why shouldn't art be a healing process for other people? Yeah. Yeah, right? For sure, for sure. Um, you know, it's like in talking to you and hearing what you say, it's almost like I want to say, so you're allowed to do that? <laughs> and it's right. like, of course you're allowed to do that. But people don't do that no. anymore. But I always say, I've had people ask me, if you give one word of advice for people, what would it be? I said, don't wait for someone to give you permission to be you. Yeah. yeah. And Sam was a great example of that. Mm -hmm. A perfect example of that. And so when I walked into his studio, that's what resonated with me. He is he is who he is. Yeah. And the world has to accommodate him. Yeah. It's not he's got to fit into the world. You know, he did a, a reverse polar magnetism sort of thing. And I thought, oh, I like this. Mm -hmm. I like this very much. Um, it was just so awe-inspiring, and it made me feel like anything's possible. Mm -hmm. I, I want to just take like a little bit of a selfish moment sure. because um, you and I wrote this, these essays on like self-portraits, and mm -hmm. we started um, with Albert Durer and things like that. We went all the way up to Andy Warhol. We didn't, we didn't talk about Sam. I didn't even know Sam did self-portraits. And um, well, we, need, we need to add that in. Yeah, and in thinking about what we covered, everything in between, um, all of that, we saw Sam's portraits at the Bakersfield Museum. Um, what, what do you think about those and I mean, we know he did the the edge paintings first, and the, the middle of the edge paintings were for the viewer, mm -hmm. or for him, or for the viewer, mm -hmm. to have their own perception. It's Zen. It's a Zen space of mind. It's the emptiness of everything, which is everything is nothing, and nothing mm -hmm. is everything. Mm -hmm. 
But the self-portraits he, I'm talking to. Yeah, I know what you mean. They, 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 he shows all of his sides. He embraces all parts of who he mm -hmm. is. So he's really comfortable in his skin, acknowledging and, and sort of swimming with every aspect of himself. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's kind of maybe? Well, kind of maybe what? Accurate? Yeah, I think so. As he, an artist, like, I, I, I think he did self. He did a lot of himself. Yeah, and I still do know. them. I still do them, but um. But they're not self-portraits. They're symbolic. psychological self-portraits yeah. that I'm that I'm exploring. I think his were more about the energy. Okay. And when he was diagnosed with prostate cancer, um, he, as I remember, he refused the medical advice and went to Mexico or something to get some alternative treatments and it didn't go well for him. Mm -hmm. And so he did a whole series of self-portraits known as blue balls mm -hmm. because he was now impotent, you know, and that was how he saw himself. Mm -hmm. um, that, that vitality of a man who he once was, was slipping away and mm -hmm. so that was the blue ball series and the self-portraits of that um, and I remember he did one a print at Hamilton Press and I happened to walk in there and that that's how I know the story because Ed Hamilton explained it to me mm -hmm. and I thought wow um, I didn't know he was so at the time um, so that the work was so personal. Mm -hmm. Takes a lot of courage. You know what I mean? And and even the abstracts were personal, but he was, I, I never heard any personal things about him. I mean, you know, this wife or that wife and this child and that child and a complicated personal life, but it never was really out in the public per se. You know, you'd mm -hmm. hear, you'd hear people whispering this and that, but not much. Um, but I, I, I don't think those those works were about that. I think they were about his own personal energy. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you know what, because sometimes as when you're, you wake up and you're happy, you wake up, you're sad, you wake up and you feel depleted, you wake up and you feel anxious. And I think that's what he was maybe exploring more because mm -hmm. he really wasn't interested in portraying himself. No, no, of course not. Of course not. They were, they were, they were emotional portraits, yeah. psychic portraits. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I, th I think that's. Um, well, now looking back at Sam, he's been a bit quiet. His work and. Mm -hmm. You know, his career, you mean? Yeah, it's been a bit Since quiet. his passing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now coming back with these exhibitions, it's 100 years since Sam. Um, I did a little exhibition for him for mm -hmm. Slow Art Day, and you contributed one of your crossings pieces. Yeah. But, um, and I think also the foundation is helping with that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. They're really doing what a foundation is supposed to do. And not letting somebody just fade away. Yeah, I, I feel his work is 
just as vital. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think people should see it and experience sure. it and and get into it. Absolutely. You know, especially now. I mean, he's the antithesis of a Damien Hirst or Jeff Koons, and that's good. Mm-hmm. We need that. We need that balance. Yeah. Um, I I think it's really an important thing to think about and remember. You know, and that he's has a legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Lacma show about his legacy with the Japanese artists, and okay. Um, I can see some of the connections, but again, the connections are more philosophical than visual, mm-hmm. and I'm not quite sure the museum was able to fully present that. Yeah, yeah. That's my opinion. Well, but supposedly he wasn't influenced by that, and right, he was just he influenced. He didn't want to be a part of any movement or right. any type. So, um, I think I think what what people are saying is that. Sam, like any artist, and I, I'm sure you would want this for yourself after you pass, that people can interpret it in new ways and, mm-hmm. and com, you know compartmentalize it or pair it with mm-hmm. other things. Well, and also, I mean, yeah, because he spent so much time there. Yeah. I think maybe it was his work that was having an influence on those artists. Yeah. You know, and that is something more interesting to explore. You know, you and I went to the preview, and I, we walked through it. I'm a visual person. I'm not one for reading placards and stuff like that. Um, and I would never, ever buy the headset to listen to somebody telling me what it is I'm looking at. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. But I didn't get the sense of a real conversation between Sam's work and the other artist's work. I didn't understand who was supposed to be influencing whom. Mm-hmm. Did he know these artists? Did they know him? I mean, that maybe it was all there in the placards, and I didn't read it. If so, that's that's shame on me. But I I wanted visually to just be inundated with all this information. Yeah. And maybe we're now in a time of society where we need to be spoon-fed words. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Well, yeah. I just show up every day. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's other um, museums and galleries, you know, sharing his work now. And yeah, I saw I Jack. Jack Rutberg has a show of his prints, and yeah, I think it's yeah. a good thing. All right. Well, it is a good thing. So, so looking back, um, you know, one word that would sum up your feeling for Sam's studio. One word? One word. Mm, mm. You want me to come up with one word? Two words. Two words, one's easier. Um, inspirational. Okay. That's very nice. Inspirational. You like to put me on the spot, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just... That's okay. I can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, thank you for talking about... Thank you for asking. It's been in my back pocket for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, he, his presence gave me the, one of the orders who gave me the courage to say I can do this. That's a big gift. A huge gift. Especially a kid coming from a farm, such as myself. 
you know, and it's one thing to read about these artists in a book and just sit in an art history class and see these images splashed up on a big screen. It's another thing to be there in their studio. That's like, oh my God. Yeah. That's transformational. And it transformed me. Mm. So that's two words, transformational and inspirational. <laughs> All right, I'm done. All right, thank you so much. Thank you.